0: Cystic Fibrosis, the Primary Care Providers' Role in Case Finding and Referral, is a CME podcast episode produced by Prime Ed in partnership with Learn More, Breathe Better, a program of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute of the National Institutes of Health. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Mara lahovich Scrogans, Program Director with NHLBI's Division of Lung Diseases, and Dr. Deepika Polineni, Director of the Cystic Fibrosis Center at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. We'll be discussing what general practitioners should know about cystic fibrosis, or CF, including the factors that contribute to delayed or misdiagnosis, and the similarities and differences with primary ciliary dyskinesia, or PCD. So first of all, we know that primary care providers can play an important role in identifying cases of cystic fibrosis, but sometimes the disease can be overlooked. Dr. Lehovich-Scroggins What are some of the reasons that CF may be missed in a primary care setting?
1: Well, universal screening of newborns is actually relatively recent, so there may be older children and adults who have not been screened. Additionally, screening may be different even outside of the United States, so individuals that have moved here may not have been screened or have had different types of screening. Though all 50 states and the District of Columbia are now screening newborns for cystic fibrosis, the methods of screening may differ from state to state. For example, uh, every state's newborn screening program begins with a blood test from the baby to check their levels of a chemical that is made by the pancreas called immunoreactive trypsinogen, or IRT for short. Some states may test for IRT Twice before they order a genetic testing panel, and some states only do this once. Also, as I said, the genetic panels can vary from state to state, and this can contribute to missed diagnosis or underdiagnosis. And particularly, this is a problem of individuals of color. A typical standard IRT test or genetic test will also be performed with a sweat test once the newborn is 48 hours old, and this test is taken in context with genetic testing results and how an individual with cystic fibrosis may be diagnosed. There are other forms of testing that can help confirm or inform the diagnosis when the sweat tests are inconclusive. Although some newborns may have had abnormal tests at their time of screening and may not have met the diagnostic criteria, there are other conditions that can come up such as CFTR-related metabolic syndrome or CFTR-related disorders. As I mentioned earlier, a CF can uh, incorrectly be considered a disease of only Caucasian individuals, but anyone can have cystic fibrosis. People of any race or ethnicity can have cystic fibrosis, and this misconception often leads to delayed diagnosis in individuals of of color with cystic fibrosis. For these reasons, primary care physicians should understand the clinical features of cystic fibrosis in order to help identify the disease in all individuals.
0: Well, thank you. That, that's some great information. Uh, very pragmatic in terms of who we should be, particularly thinking about in terms of being risk, uh, at risk for CF uh, among uh, children, and even adolescents and adults, as you mentioned. Um, so we do have to be mindful that some screening uh, will miss individuals or some individuals did not get screened. So we need to be aware of the symptoms of uh, CF. So maybe uh, Dr. Lovitch-Scarg, you could go into some of the common symptoms and review the profile. Of somebody with cystic fibrosis
1: yes so um the typical features usually for um, infants and newborns as they start to age is failure to thrive and um, these conditions are a result of intestinal malabsorption and pancreatic symptoms that are specific to the disease Um, as the the child gets older they may have muscle and joint pain they you may also notice clubbing in their hands but a primary and hallmark feature for those that may have late diagnosis is frequent lung infections, including pneumonia or bronchitis, which can be accompanied by wheezing and cough that brings up with uh, brings up mucus. Um, at times, that's often mistaken in children as asthmatic symptoms. But uh, another hallmark feature is the salty taste to the skin. Uh, The children can also have chronic sinusitis and other ENT symptoms. And as they start to enter into um, puberty and uh, adulthood, they can also have infertility, particularly in men and reduced fertility in females with cystic fibrosis.
0: So it's really about following uh, these symptoms and potential signs over a lifetime because they will change you know, from infancy into childhood, adolescence, and even adulthood. Uh, great information, uh, thank you. Uh, turn to you, Dr. Polanini. Um, many of the symptoms just described are also symptoms of PCD or primary ciliary dyskinesia. Now PCD can have a similar presentation to CF clinically, which can lead to misdiagnosis. How can clinicians tell them apart?
2: That's a great question, Dr. Vega. So as doctor Lahovich Lachowicz-Strogans was just explaining, there are many symptoms of cystic fibrosis, including chronic rhinosinusitis or pulmonary infections that can be common to both diseases, but there are distinguishing features, and that's also related to the distinction in the underlying uh, pathogenesis of the disease. So in cystic fibrosis, uh, this is really caused uh, because of mutations to the CFTR gene, that are interrupting the proper salt water transport uh, and bicarbonate transport. And so this is leading to a thick, viscous mucus uh, that is ultimately uh, the cause of the subsequent uh, downstream effects and end organ damage. Whereas in primary ciliary dyskinesia, this can actually be the result of genetic defects in a number of potential different genes that affect the structure of the cilia uh, or those uh, brush like structures that sweep uh, the cells and help to clear uh, many organs, in fact, uh, from uh, chronic mucus and improve mucociliary clearance. Um, So, the way that this can ultimately manifest in some differences in the phenotype or organ presentations is, uh, for example, you may see, uh, you will certainly expect to see respiratory system effects in common across both cystic fibrosis and primary ciliary dyskinesia. Um, and as Dr. Lahowicz-Scroggins also mentioned, you can see uh, male reproductive infertility in cystic fibrosis and reduced fertility for women. Uh, similarly, you can also see fertility impacted for both men and women in primary ciliary dyskinesia. However, uh, CF really is a multi-organ disease that can also affect uh, the pancreas, most certainly also the liver, uh, intestinal impacts, uh, and as the skin, and the skin, as mentioned. Uh, Primary ciliary dyskinesia can also present with laterality defects, which one would not expect to see in cystic fibrosis. Um, So this may, for example, present as dextrocardia or the uh, inversion of the heart uh, to the right side. Uh, You may see complete uh, situs totalis, which is uh, situs inversus totalis, uh, or complete laterality defects, and this can also be uh, localized to specific organs or even uh, the abdominal organs alone, for example, situs abdominis. But these types of organ laterality defects are something that you would expect to see potentially in PCD, but not in CF. Um, so those that's one of the hallmark types of distinguishing factors. Uh, Ultimately, issues of chronic rhinosinusitis can occur in both, and the most complicating presentation really is the issue of uh, chronic pulmonary disease, and so if uh, evaluation for cystic fibrosis uh, turns out to be negative, other rare genetic disease processes, including primary ciliary dyskinesia, should still be considered in cases of bronchiectasis.
0: Wow, that's really fascinating and, and interesting uh, information and a great job to in differentiating, even though they can present similarly. Um, if you take a clinical snapshot, uh, I think looking a little bit deeper, Uh, you can find some differences that help differentiate CF and PCD. Um, So to follow up with you again, Dr. Polnani, I think a lot of uh, the clinicians listening uh, may be more interested in the types of screenings and tests used to diagnose CF and the medical settings in which they're typically uh, conducted. Uh, Could you review that important subject for us? Sure.
2: So CF screening can take place uh, at multiple levels. And typically what happens now is uh, when Uh, Parents are considering uh, prenatal counseling, Uh, carrier testing can be performed. Um, Currently, that is still set by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology as 23 CFTR mutations that are tested for in carrier testing. And that covers about 85% of the alleles that we might expect to see in a Caucasian population. Um, But as previously referenced, we can see how that can lend some bias towards missing diagnosis in people of color. And that's part of the reason why I'm very excited to share that uh, just last month it was published that the American uh, Medical College for Genetics and Genomics has uh, increased the recommendation to 100 variants that would be included uh, in carrier testing. And that will also help expand uh, some of that diversity that we actually fully expect to see in the CF population when there is adequate testing. Um, So carrier testing, of course, is uh, occurring in prenatal planning. Um, In prenatal screening, one of the ways uh, that has been the most glaring in prenatal testing has certainly been when an ultrasound assessment that can be done in the second trimester shows fetal echogenic bowel. Um, and This is concerning for early uh, signal of meconium ileus, one of the hallmark signs of classic CF. Uh, But even uh, before ultrasound is uh, done in the second trimester, Uh, There's also opportunity for other options of prenatal testing. Uh, Increasingly, cell-free fetal DNA that is circulating in the mother's blood is becoming more available. Uh, And so genetic testing can be performed from those samples. And more classically, there's also the options of chorionic villus sampling, as well as uh, amniocentesis. And these have both been around for quite some time now. And finally, for newborn screening, I know uh, Dr. Lehovich Scroggins referenced uh, a lot of information about newborn screening. This is uh, clearly typically occurring in the hospital setting uh, and as mentioned, starts with that uh, blood blood sample. So with all of that said, uh, those are methods for screening and these uh, occur in the prenatal planning, uh, during prenatal care and at birth. But once there is uh, some concern for cystic fibrosis, whether that's based in screening or based in clinical presentation, it's very important, especially in our modern practice of medicine for cystic fibrosis with newly developed treatments, that an individual does have a genetic analysis conducted to fully understand the nature of their CF. So when CFTR genetic analysis is done, Depending on the number of mutations tested, it can really help understand whether or not somebody with CF is able to take and benefit from the more recently approved cystic fibrosis therapies called CFTR modulators. And these are treatments that are really uh, getting at the underlying cause of CF, uh, really targeting the mutations and defective protein itself. Um, This is very important for us to talk about as a community and understand that uh, a test is only as good as the number of mutations that it's testing for. So once again, there can be a bias if we're not really picking up rare CFTR variants that can occur more commonly in minoritized populations. Um, And these are all factors to think about in diagnosis. For example, uh, if you see somebody who uh, has Uh, been signaled as positive by newborn screening, but live in a state where their CFTR mutations are not included uh, in genetic analysis for that state's panel, the diagnosis should not be excluded, but in fact, uh, further testing should be done to try to identify what CFTR mutations may actually be present uh, and explain the patient's uh, testing to date and clinical presentation. Um, With all of that said, sweat test still remains the gold standard Uh, And the combination of sweat testing and understanding of genetic analyses is helping us learn more uh, about CFTR-related metabolic disorders as well, or these intermediate types of stages. Uh, Ultimately, sweat tests uh, should be performed at an accredited center because these are challenging to collect and the variance can be high within a given individual. Um, So it is strongly recommended that sweat testing for sweat chloride be conducted at an accredited center. Uh, And finally, uh, CFTR functional testing is used more now uh, as an opportunity to understand whether or not a patient may benefit uh, from treatments. Um, And so there are opportunities uh, that are under investigation now to better understand whether someone with rare CFTR genetics may still have an off-label benefit from these CFTR modulators that are based on mutations.
0: Well, that was just an outstanding summary. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Polineni. And you, you actually brought up you know, some of the uh, really uh, exciting and, and interesting newer treatments available for CF, yet we can't forget about some of the basic interventions we've known for a while. So can you cover the management and treatment options for cystic fibrosis?
2: Absolutely. Um, As with most health conditions, I would easily say that being conscientious of a healthy, nutritious diet and having a lifestyle that is active uh, with robust exercise are always key. Um, In fact, we really appreciate that uh, chronic exercise or commitment to regular exercise uh, is a positive uh, health aspect for both maintaining good airway clearance as well as good bone health, and helping to ensure good mental health. So the importance of exercise can't be underestimated. Um, but we certainly rely on uh, classic medical therapies and cystic fibrosis, including airway clearance that can be performed with a variety of devices, uh, including, for example, uh, percussive therapy to the chest wall through vest therapy, uh, using handheld devices uh, that can help improve uh, the expectoration of mucus. Uh, So regular airway clearance is a mainstay, and that can also be, should be augmented by uh, using inhaled agents such as, for example, hypertonic saline uh, or inhaled dornase alpha, and these are really uh, mucolytic uh, or mucus hydrating agents that can help to expectorate mucus. It's important to note that now that we're moving into an era where a majority of people with CF in the United States are placed on CFTR modulators, some of the role of those therapies is still coming to be better understood. Uh, But at this time, we still continue to promote that people with CF are still strongly participating in their airway clearance regimens. One of the factors for people with cystic fibrosis that's most important to consider from a primary care perspective is infection prevention. And this can include basic measures such as hand sanitization or taking basic precautions during viral or cold season. Um, But it also can be very nuanced, such as trying to maintain a six foot distance from other people with cystic fibrosis because the transmission of infectious organisms can be harmful between people with CF. Uh, One of the most key factors across all of these aspects of care, whether that's lifestyle modification, inhaled medications and airway clearance or carefully considering infection prevention so that we're preventing the potential for accelerated lung function decline is really linking someone into an accredited CF specialty care center. Um, This is really one of the main aspects that has advanced health and survival for people with CF is the standardization of care delivery and understanding what best practices improve health outcomes. And so the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation does have a network of accredited care centers and you are welcome to look at the website to look at the care center nearest you to identify a multidisciplinary care team that will help partner with you for your patient's care.
0: Okay, well, uh, thank you for that uh, great summary of uh, management of cystic fibrosis. Um, Dr. Lohovich Scroggins, is it okay if I ask you for some final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience?
1: Yes, we recognize that health education is very important, and NHLBI's Learn More, Breathe Better program offers a range of resources, publications, and materials for primary care providers to read and also pass along to their patients. These resources cover topics including COPD, asthma, and other lung diseases, including a fact sheet titled What is Cystic Fibrosis? These health education resources are available at www.nhlbi.nih.gov breathebetter breathe better. Additional resources related to this podcast include health topic pages titled What is Primary Ciliary Dyskinesia, as well as What is Bronchiectasis, which may be common in both diseases we discussed today. And these fact sheets are available online at www.nhlbi.nih.gov.